Good to see all of you here, a good crowd considering it's Super Bowl Sunday. The real people who love God are here, so that's, that's exciting. It's also interesting that some of our bearded people are shaving their beards while I'm growing one. I don't know if that says something. Craig, you and I are becoming a dying breed. You know, I'm trying to catch you too, by the way. Good to have you with us this evening. We are talking about the minor prophets, and we are to Jonah. All of us know this story, right? I mean, this is a story about a big fish that swallows this reluctant prophet, and that's where many people get lost in this story. They want to focus on the fish or whale, whatever it was, and argue over that or, or talk about it like it's the mother of all great fish stories, and they lose sight of what's really going on with this prophet and with this whole story. I think I told you that when I was at Harding, I took a class called World Religions. And there was one day that we traveled to Little Rock and we visited several different churches. And we were able to visit the Jewish synagogue on a high holy day. And during the service, the Gabbai, or the Jewish priest that was doing the service, he read a portion of God's word from Jonah. And when he got done, the people responded, we are Jonah. And I thought that's pretty profound, because if you read through the book of Jonah, you see that he really represents every man. Whether we like it or not, he really does. And so I want to present Jonah tonight in a way that hopefully lets us look into a mirror. Because I think that's what the book is about. It's about God first and foremost, but I think it's about us and how we perceive God at times. And so it is a mirror in a lot of ways. Again, we know the story, this reluctant prophet who finally decides that he will carry out God's mission for him, uh, but not before taking a detour in the belly of a great fish. In the end, he goes to Assyria, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches there. The people repent. But there's things about this, this story that are very unique. For one... If you look throughout the prophets of the Bible, you see that they were typically people who spoke for God, and their message was a message of them speaking the oracles of God, okay? Look throughout the Old Testament, that's what you see. When we're studying these minor prophets, that's what you see. Prophets who are speaking for God, a message from God. But with Jonah, we're not following the words of a man speaking God's word. We're looking at a man who refuses to speak what God wants him to speak, and we're looking at this man and this, this selfish, uh, spoiled brat of a prophet who refuses to do what God has commissioned him to do. We see Jonah one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who was one of the worst kings in Israel's history. And you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 14, starting in verse 23. But it's here that we see that King Jeroboam was gaining a lot of favor and he was, he was gaining a lot of uh, victories in battle. And Jonah prophesies that he is going to win a battle and gain a lot of territory on Israel's northern border. But what's interesting 
is that Amos prophesied the opposite. Amos had confronted the wicked king and gave an opposite prophecy, promising that he would lose all of those same territories. So before we even get to the prophet Jonah in this book, we already have some suspicions about his character. What's also unique about Jonah's story is that no, nobody in the story follows the, the, the stereotypes. You have these pagan sailors who end up turning to God and asking God to forgive them. You have this king of the, one of the most vicious empires in history who humbles himself before God. Even the cows repent. And of course, then you have this prophet of God who should have been seeking to preach God's word anywhere and everywhere he's told to go, and yet he runs away. And so it's very interesting how this whole thing plays out. If you want to turn to chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so God commissions Jonah to go to Nineveh. If you know anything about Nineveh, you know that this was a, a very brutal, very uh, vicious, malicious group of people that lived there. The Assyrians were world-renowned. Did I lose my mic for a second? The Syrians were world-renowned for being people who were just awful, brutal, malicious people. And so why would Jonah refuse to go? Well, maybe on the surface you could say because, I, I mean, it, it's scary. I mean, I think any of us would probably be afraid. And he's going to go and he's going to speak out against the way that they were living and the things that they were, going to, the things that they were doing. I mean, it, it very easily could have been that they would add his body to the heaping pile of carcasses I mean, they didn't care to kill somebody else. And so you can see why he might be afraid. Or maybe it was because of the enormity of the mission. I mean, Assyria was 120,000 people. I mean, it was a corrupt, vile place. What's one man going to do? I mean, what kind of impact is he going to make? And so you could understand if maybe the enormity of the situation is something that he didn't want to deal with. But you see that... Those really weren't the reasons for Jonah refusing to go. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid he'd be successful. Running from God is like trying to kind of outrun your shadow. It's an effort in futility, but that's exactly what Jonah tries to do, and he learns the hard way that you can't do it. Jonah's course was downhill. It says he went down to Joppa, and anytime you take a path away from God, it's always going to be down. There's always going to be a downward spiral when you choose to go away from from God. You know, I think people who are choosing to go away from God would not probably describe it that way, but that's what always happens. And Satan is a great travel agent. If you choose to sail away from God, he's going to make sure that the waters are always peaceful, that everything is fine, at least in the beginning. But when you run away from God, you always pay your own fare, and you never get to where you're going. And Jonah, of course, learned this the hard way, as well. He went down to the lowest parts of the ship and he went to sleep thinking out of sight, out of mind, right? He was hiding from God, or at least he thought he was. And many people do that today. They choose their own course in life. And when they are disobedient, they naturally want to uh, hide from God. We don't want to face our conscience. 
We don't want to face the things that we are doing. We don't want to face the Lord, for sure. In one sense, Jonah's story is over at this point. I mean, God told him to do something. He chose to run away from that responsibility. End of story, right? But God is not through with Jonah. The prophet goes down into the hull of the ship and he goes to sleep. God seeks to get his attention by creating a storm out of the sea. And this storm threatens to break the ship apart. The sailors get so frightened that they call out to their gods, but their gods don't do anything because their gods are imaginary. They don't exist. And so then the captain says, go down and find Jonah. And so they go down, they get Jonah, they wake him up and they ask him, you know, why, why is all this happening? What's going on here? Can you tell us anything? And Jonah replies with some religious mumbo jumbo. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? I mean, what a lie. I mean, God certainly did make the sea and the dry land, but yet Jonah was dumb enough to run away from this God. And notice the irony here. Jonah had run from God and was in this difficult position because he refused to preach to pagans. But now here he was doing that very thing, wasn't he? I mean, he's talking to these pagan sailors in the trauma of the moment, and he tells them of his background. He indicates that he fear, fears the creator of the sea and the dry land, the creator of this very storm that was threatening to break the ship apart. But Jonah still wasn't prepared to turn and do God's will. It's funny how God can accomplish his will no matter what, right? Even through this disobedient prophet, he accomplishes the will of, of preaching to sailors that were pagans. So, if Jonah would have turned around at this point, if Jonah would have decided, you know what, I am going to do what God has told me to do, I'm sorry, I want to be forgiven, I have no doubt that God would have stilled that storm, he would have had the best wind possible in the sails to take Jonah back to shore, but Jonah doesn't do that. In fact, here might be the most selfish moment that we see in the story of Jonah. He tells the sailors to throw him overboard because he's the cause of the storm. He's going to let them have, have blood on their hands. These innocent people, he's going to allow them to have blood on their hands. And he's saying, I would rather die than carry out God's mission. I'd rather be dead than do what God told me to do. Well, they end up throwing Jonah overboard. And God prepares this great fish to come and swallow him up. And this is where so many people in the story abandon ship. Because they want, to, they want to discuss and debate whether it's even possible for a fish to swallow a man. Which, you know, interestingly enough, I don't know how true it is, but you can go on the internet. I just did the other day, and you can kind of Google men who have been swallowed by fish. And there are quite a many accounts of men who have been swallowed by, like, sperm whale and, and live to tell about it. But that really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, the guy who created the the seas and the dry land. The almighty creator of the universe is perfectly capable of creating a great fish to come and swallow a man and even keep him alive if he wants to, right? You see, here's what happens is we get so caught up in the fish part of this story that we forget about what's going on inside of Jonah. Forget what's going on inside the fish. Think about what's going on inside of Jonah. Here he has an opportunity to think about all that he has done. And anybody who has sinned and have gotten so far away from God that they've reached a dead end will get to this point, right? Maybe you've been there. 
where you're just left to yourself in this prison of your thoughts to think about what you have done and to dwell on how you're going to get out of it. And that's Jonah. He is in the belly of this great fish with nowhere to turn except to God. And he prays a seemingly beautiful prayer. But there's something missing in it. See if you notice it. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Notice anything missing? Not once does Jonah say, I'm sorry. Other than that, it's a beautiful prayer. And it seems like he's going to get back on track. He's going to actually do what God told him to do in the first place. The fish got his attention. Now it's time to go out and get to work. And so he goes to Nineveh, this, this, this ruthless city. And he goes there and hears his sermon. You ready? Forty more days and Nineveh shall be overturned. That's it. I mean, I know we like shorter sermons for the most part, but it seems like there needs to be more to that, right? I mean, there's nothing discussed about, about how... Nineveh is to repent or how they're to turn around. There's no mention of how they are to respond. There's no mention of God. I mean, it makes you wonder, is Jonah, based on the character and based on what we know about him, is Jonah intentionally sabotaging the message, hoping that God will not save these enemies of his? It makes you wonder, is Jonah just half-heartedly doing this because he doesn't really want to be there anyway? I don't know that for sure. But it sure seems odd that he preaches this message, and whatever his motive is, it appears that he gives very little effort. But nevertheless, God is going to accomplish his will. He's not going to allow Jonah win by being a spoiled brat. And so the last word is overturned. And this word can mean overthrown, as in destroyed like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also mean transformed or changed. And isn't it interesting that Jonah would have preferred that his preaching, or lack thereof, would lead to Nineveh being overthrown or destroyed, but instead it led to even their king humbly bowing down before God and repenting. And once again, we see pagans being more responsive to the will of God than his own prophet. I don't know about you, but if you've ever preached a lesson, when I preach a lesson, I, I would prefer it if people respond kindly. I would prefer it if people would, would respond to the invitation, even if they don't come forward, that they would apply it to their lives, that they would want to take what I've said and use it in the best way possible. But Jonah is displeased that they answered the invitation. He's not the least bit happy that these Ninevites answered his preaching and that it was so well received. And the reason why is because it meant mercy for his enemies. It meant that the Ninevites would not face destruction, but rather that they would be forgiven by God. I mean, after all that Jonah had been through, the storm, the fish, all of that, he still just doesn't get it. 
And I have to admit that if I were God at this point, I would have given up on Jonah a long time ago. I wouldn't have put up near with what God has put up with. This definitely would have been the last straw. But God is still not done with Jonah. Jonah is very angry with God for the salvation of his enemies, and he prays this. He says, please, Lord, this is Jonah chapter 4, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than me, better for me than life. Jonah gives the reason why he ran in the beginning. It wasn't because he was scared. It wasn't because he feared for his life. It wasn't because the, the task was too enormous. He was afraid that God would do what he said he would do. He was afraid that his preaching would be successful. Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want his enemies to have salvation. And he's so upset that he petitions God to just kill him. Just be done with me. Put me out of my misery. But God doesn't comply. And instead, God still doesn't give up on Jonah. Instead, God gives a practical object lesson consisting of a plant, a worm, and a wind. And these are used to expose Jonah's sinful rebellion, his misguided heart, and his wrong-side-up value system. In his anger, Jonah goes out of the city, he sits down, and he makes himself a shelter with, uh, there with the Lord, causing a plant to grow up over him to shade him from the hot sun. And Jonah was very grateful. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm to eat that plant, and it withered away. And so a, a, a vehement wind was prepared, and it blew on Jonah. The sun beat down on Jonah's head to the point that he became faint. And Jonah became very angry. And once again, he wishes for death. It is better for me to die than live, he says. And the book then closes with God asking two questions. Number one, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And number two, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? In other words, God is asking, aren't humans of more importance than vines? And that's it. The end. No, really, I mean, that's the end of the story. Kind of lackluster, isn't it? Kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? But I don't think that there is a missing manuscript here. I don't think that we don't have all the story. I think we have all the story that God wants us to have because what we have to see is this, this is not really a story about Jonah anyway. This is a story about God. God shows us through Jonah the theme of mercy. I mean, that's the theme throughout the book. In the end, we are left with an intentional powerful statement concerning his mercy you see jonah had nothing to do with that plant he didn't cause it to grow he couldn't stop its growth he didn't create it god did just as he created jonah just as he created that some 120,000 ninevites just as he created you and i and certainly jonah didn't didn't deserve to be rescued from the belly of that great fish jonah was so happy to have the plant how much happier should he have been that the ninevites were saved that his enemies were shown mercy. How happy he should have been that he had been shown mercy more than once. 
Fortunately for Jonah, God didn't look upon him the way that Jonah looked upon the Ninevites. You see, Jonah didn't love his neighbor as himself. He only wanted God to love the people that he loved. That was his tragic mistake. God wanted Jonah to love the people that God loved, but Jonah didn't. God wanted him to love those people that are made in his image, even those living in Nineveh. God's lesson to Jonah is that his mercy is available to all those who seek his will for their lives and who come in humble repentance. It was available to the wicked Ninevites just as it was available to this stubborn and disobedient prophet. And it is available to us. But it requires us to run to God and not from Him. It requires us to obey, to seek Him rather than hiding from Him. And it requires us to have faith and not to follow our own course. You know, throughout this series, we have highlighted the fact that we are God's people. That we have been grafted into the kingdom. That we are the new Israel, so to speak. That we are now God's chosen. And that anyone who wants to be God's chosen will do so by responding to God's gift of grace that we talked about this morning. The story that we see talked about, the future hope talked about in in the minor prophets, we're living right now. We are a part of the kingdom. And I think the book of Jonah is, is trying to mess with us a little bit. The questions that God asked of Jonah, I think, are questions for us. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Are you okay with that? Remember last week when we talked about Obadiah, the message is that we used to be Edom. That we are now a part of the kingdom. And the world will always be at odds with those who are part of the kingdom. But don't forget that you you used to be an Edomite. You used to be one of the, the people in the world. Now you have a spiritual family, but that was your your fleshly family. Don't detest an Edomite. Don't hate your brother. You are definitely your brother's keeper. It is up to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the mouthpiece of our Lord, to present the gospel message in the hopes that we can bring others into this kingdom. We were once a part of that family in the world, but now we are part of the kingdom, and we should care deeply Not only about our spiritual family, but the family that we left. We should care about them. Even the ones that we would consider enemies. We should desire to rescue them from their way of life before judgment comes and they miss out on eternal glory. I mean, what God shows us through Jonah, through the Ninevites, is that just because you may hate someone doesn't mean that God shares in that hatred with you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The very people that you despise, that you may treat as an enemy, God loves. They're not unlike you in that they were made in the image of God and they have a soul and God wants them to be saved. You see, the book of Jonah is a mirror. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of all of us magnified over and over again, right? I mean, you think about it. We see the worst parts of humanity magnified a thousand times over. We are selfish. We are stubborn. We are bratty. We are spoiled. We're rebellious. We're unmerciful, aren't we? At times, all of us have been those things. And yet, God puts up with us. Through it all, God puts up with the Jonah in all of us. He hasn't given up on us. Not yet. 
God's mercy should challenge us to the core. Are we glad that God loves our enemies? Are we glad that God loves our enemies? Be careful how you answer that. You're probably an enemy to somebody. And not only that, you were once a part of that fleshly family. How bad do you want others to be in the spiritual kingdom? Don't be Jonah. Be better than that. Be someone who follows God's commission, who does what he, he commands us to do, to go into all the world, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Don't run from God, run to God. Run toward the mission. And run toward the people that maybe you might even consider your enemy. Because whether you love them or not, God does. Thank, thankful that you're here tonight. I'm glad that uh, glad you've chosen to be with us. If we, can, if we can help you in some way, if there's something that, that you need us to pray with you about tonight, if, if maybe you'd like to study the Bible with someone and you've been thinking about that, hopefully the, the lesson this morning and the lesson this evening kind of tied together as we talk about the grace and the mercy of God don't be foolish with that. If you know what you need to do, do something about it. And let us help you with that. And I'd encourage you, as we do every week, to, to go out this week and remember that you're not just the church when you're here. You're the church when you're not here. This isn't church. Your church. Go be the church. And come now as we stand and as we sing.